Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I've tried to do like the moody, cute stuff. I can't do it. I I was like, man, I'm just going to be the happy-go-lucky girl forever. But I've completely committed to it ever since April. And I feel such a relief, you know. And I was like, if you think I'm too happy, something wrong with you in your life. Because, you know, a lot of people do that. They be like, oh, she's too friendly. You know what I'm saying? Like, people complain about everything. But I'm not afraid of that anymore mm-hmm. because Prince wasn't. Prince had dedicated his whole legacy to celebrating women, celebrating women of color, and celebrating positive music. I'm going to uphold that. I feel like music changed. I feel like incentive changed. And I feel like something got upped. People were coming up with more positive music. People were coming up with more authentic music. You know, you listen to Awaken My Love, and it's like, whew, there's moments on there where you're like, whew, Prince. Prince would have been like, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm just happy to be a musician mm-hmm. right now, and I'm happy to have worked with Prince and to mm-hmm. have known that he was a fan. Yes, yes, y'all. This is your boy, Kale. Hey, everybody. This is Claremont II. My name is Mac Davis. What up, what up? This is Boy Wonder. This is August Regal. This is Jade Ang. You're not rocking with your man, Tony Tancredi. Hey, what up, everybody? It's your boy, Pluto. Hey, what's good? This is Little Sims. What's happening, y'all? This is Dame Funk, and you're listening to The Come Up Show. Get inspired. It's the Come Up Show. This is the show that you come up on, yeah. This is a spot that you come up strong, you heard. play that song. Hey, welcome to the Come Up Show podcast. My name is Cheddo. I'm the host and founder of the Come Up Show. I am super excited about my guest today, Lizzo. She was born in Detroit, grew up in Houston, made her way to Minneapolis where she met and worked with Prince. You can catch her on his 2014 album, Plectrum Electrum. She recently released her major label debut, Coconut Oil, which I've been playing nonstop. Yo, you got to check that out. It's available wherever you can get music. And I caught up with Lizzo when she came through for Toronto, part of her Coconut Oil EP tour. In our conversation, she tells me about the influence Houston rap had on her, how she was attracted to the indie rock world in Minneapolis, what it was like living out of Houston, and so much more. My conversation with Lizzo on the Come Up Show podcast. Let's go! Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Lizzo. in school when I wasn't cool shit I still ain't cool but you better make some room for me I'm coming through with my crew at the rendezvous yeah it's a party over here now yeah it's a party over here now if I knew then what I know now I give myself a souvenir for old time's sake cause I got all that I need here and I'm good yeah yeah welcome to the six uh, the sec- second time here, or I've been here. Uh, I played what North by North, North, yeah. North, North by, by North, yeah, North by. They goes by North <laughs> by North by Northeast, North by Northeast. Yeah. and I played here with this band called Slater Kenny, and I played here with um, Clean Bandit. Okay, so I mean, I've been here a twice few times. before then, or two, three. three, three times. Wow, okay, tres. Okay, but this is the first headlining show. First headlining show ever okay. in okay. another country. And in a country. That's a lie. I did it. I did it in London. That was that was bomb. That counts as another country. Second. Yeah. <laughs> and how's the tour been going so far? 
great. We had uh, sold out shows in a row, and we're we're just keeping it pushing. Like I don't know, everybody. I haven't really like played coconut oil for people yet, and wow. so playing coconut oil for people has been a big deal. Like mm-hmm. people going crazy. Um, it's crazy to like have everybody come out to see you. You know, we've been like an opening band for so long or like a festival band for so long that like, you know, people will be like, okay, she's cool. Or like, oh, I know this song. But like, nah, these people came to see us. So when we come out, they're like, you know, so it's been real, real fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's take it back to the beginning because I know your family has a, I believe your family has a big influence on you. Uh, is it the Jefferson household? Is that is that is that um, one of those? They're they're the yeah they're the Kirkwoods. I am a Jefferson. The Kirkwoods, but, okay. Yeah, the Kirkwoods. I wanna because you're born in Detroit. I know you grew up in Houston, uh, but I wanna know what it was like uh, growing up in in your family and where music came into play. Well, yeah, my family is quasi musical, whereas like my mom can sing and plays piano. But she was not a professional musician. And then my my sister can sing, but she hated singing. So mm-hmm. I found music in a weird way through school, you know. Um, I found music through the radio, 97.9 The Box in Houston. I listened to it all the time. Freestyling in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. And then I was in band. I played the flute for a long time. Uh, I and how did you came into flute? Just because of school, you had to take a mandatory music class, or no? Or like, yeah, yeah, it was either yeah. it was either band. Well, we had a bad band. Our like bad is in Michael Jackson bad. Like, our band director was like this little guy who was like an R and B singer mm-hmm. who had like a song on the radio, Mr. Browden, and like he would make us play like Biggie Smalls and like Tupac, and like we were jamming out. Like he would write. Like jet, like really, really turns up songs, and like parents would come to our shows, and we would be doing choreography and stuff. So like we were like really cool, and so everybody wanted to be in the band, you know. Um, after that, people started dropping out, obviously, because they were like, ah, oh, this is lame. Like when when in middle school or high school, but my elementary school band was popping, and so mm-hmm. I like I joined it, and it was a crazy experience to have like a band director who didn't really play by the rules. You know what I'm saying? Like he would write music for us and that was like inspiring as a young at a young age to be like oh Mm -hmm. so you can just do whatever you want oh music is like the wild wild west so i don't know it was tight that's how i found it so high school is that in uh uh, in houston then houston okay yeah so tell me about the the, because houston the music scene in houston you know uh i know trade of truth is one of your favorite rappers like you said he you rate him well (laughs) trade it was Z- I loved Zero, mm-hmm. and I loved Little Flip, and Trey um, came up under Zero, mm-hmm. and I just remember those guys were like heroes to me because they were always on the radio, and they were just like so good at freestyling, and I don't know, like I, Houston is just trill. You know, it's different. Yeah, Texas, UGK, different. like, yeah. yeah, everything is like Triller in Texas and yeah. Screw Music. And I remember when Screw Music started like leaving Houston. I remember it was like if you play Screw Music and you weren't in SUC, like you would have to answer to somebody. Wow. But then people started screwing music all over, like in New York and West Coast. And I remember being like, that's crazy that like 
this is no longer like a Houston thing. This is no longer just ours. It's like spreading. And Mike Jones blew up. And I don't know. Houston has a huge influence on hip hop culture. And it was really cool oh, to yeah. be there while it was all happening, you know? Mm-hmm. And is that where like he got into rap? Is it because of Houston? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I wouldn't have, if I stayed in Detroit, I don't think I would have been into hip-hop as much as I am. And if I lived in Minneapolis, I don't think I would have been rapping as much as I am. I don't know, it was like the social kind of clout of being able to freestyle in the cafeteria and on the bus, you know? And after school, that was really, really, uh, it gave me a lot of drive to rap. And me and my girls, we had a rap crew and we had a song. We was popping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's Flute Melissa, you know, playing Flight of the Bumblebee. And then there's Lizzo that's spitting bars. And you were talking about that there was these two different personalities that started to develop. And tell me about them and, like, when these two personalities are, like, kind of, are they merging or you had to choose one? Well, I definitely chose one um, a long time ago. Yeah. Unfortunately. And I was like, I'm about to choose the rap side because (laughs) this flute game ain't working out. Like, you know, um... But then when I moved to Minneapolis, um, Minneapolis kind of married all of those, like kind of mixed all of those, like my nerdy side and my cool side and my my weird indie side and my hip hop side and classically trained side, like mixed them all together and kind of made me who I am now, which is really cool. Um, I don't think I would have been able to figure it out because, you know, hip hop is so one hip hop can be so like one thing you know and if you try to bring your weirdoness into it sometimes weirdos don't slide mm-hmm. nowadays nah, weirdos are yeah, sliding all definitely. over the place but when i yeah. well it is what it is but it's just like when the people who are the weirdos now that are that are in hip hop had to deal with a lot of like um i don't know not haters but like they just had to deal with coming to terms and coming to into their own. Yeah. They all had to go through it, you know? And I think that it's tight that, like, you can be a weirdo and a rapper now. I'm technically still a fucking weirdo and a rapper. Yeah, so. because you had to be, like, the 50 cents or the gangster or, yeah. like, very, uh, you know, like, bragging and, like, yeah. be, I'm, I'm a thug, I'm a, you know, all this type of stuff. You can't say, hey, I'm a weirdo or yeah. I'm awkward or I'm shy or that type of stuff. It wasn't yeah. accepted in hip-hop. Now, if you're shy or weirdo, oh, my God, we love you even more. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm grateful for it because yeah. my weird ass, is, you know, is getting embraced, um, which yeah. I thought would never happen. So, yeah. you know, there's a place for everybody now um, in and hip-hop. It's so. really cool. It is cool. Is it true that you lived out of your sister's car? Yeah. Well, my sister <laughs> let me have her car. Okay. And it was like this... Oh, Subaru. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. I got pulled over once by the... Po- well, no, I was like... Sitting on the side of the road, I was, like, parked. And then mm-hmm. the police were like, did you just get in an accident? Like, they, th- <laughs> they thought I had just gotten an accident because, like, the whole side was T-bone. Like, I couldn't have a passenger driver, rider, because mm-hmm. it was, like, caved in. And the back seat was the same. Like, wow, this car was a jalopy. I drove it forever. It was faithful to me. I drove it to South by Southwest and played South by Southwest and slept in it and slept in it in Houston. I spent Thanksgiving in that hole. Like, that car meant wow. a lot to me. And then I, like, you know, started making money and got, like, new cars and stuff. And my mom left the car out in the street for somebody to take. I was like, why didn't you tell me? I would have put that car in a museum. Like, because that car meant so much to me. 
But um, I did. Everybody's got to go through their struggle, you know. Um, luckily, I got through mine early on because that was a struggle. Any any like memories that you'll never forget that you've had in that car? <laughs> I basically told you most of them. South by Southwest was a big one. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Thanksgiving was sad. Getting pulled over by the cops or already being pulled over. Like driving that home, man. That whole that car drove all the way. Like this car looked like it was like on the verge of death, y'all. Mm-hmm. And I drove it from Houston all the way to Denver. Like that car, she was a faithful little faithful little. Did you have a room. name for her or her the name car? was Harvey. Harvey Dent, cause Two Face. Really? Mm-hmm. That- that's pretty cool. <laughs> so you moved to Minneapolis in 2011, and you said uh, even though you're obviously you're still into into hip hop, you were drawn to the indie rock world. Like mm-hmm. uh, you said, it had taught you to be a crowd pleaser when you're performing. And oh, I said that. Yeah. How, how so? And what? Obviously, that's different. If you're in Minneapolis, I've never been there, but I'm assuming hipster backpacker. Yeah. Type totally. of scene. Um. Yeah, I, w- I started embracing indie music in Houston, though, because I was in a rock band. Um, and when I got to Minneapolis, you know, I had already kind of found my my wave, you know. And it did teach me to be a crowd pleaser because I did not know how to sing. And I had to, like, put on a show. I was a rapper, a flute player, but I was not, like, a singer. So I would get drunk, and I would just, like, go for it and be like, ah! You know, and like roll around. And so I wanted to look up other people who were like that, that, you know, I couldn't really describe. You weren't like up there swagging, you know, and I wasn't like in a concert chair playing flute. It was a whole different animal. So I looked up people like the Mars Volta, like Cedric. He was like always running across the stage, climbing the rafters, like screaming at people. I was like, that's what's up. I want to start doing shit like that. And, um, who else did I look up that's just, like, crazy on stage? Just rock people who, like, lose their fucking minds. Mm-hmm. And I got super heavy into it. And I just started going for it. And people were like, this is such a good show. And then through that, I started, like, refining my voice. Because my voice was just so too much. And I had to, like, scale back and learn how to clean it up. And eventually now, you know, I'm a pop singer and a rapper and... It came from like being really raw, and I'm too really much. curious about that because you start singing late. Like you, you didn't even try singing earlier. Like, because nah. did people usually just start singing out of nowhere and just like, oh, I'm I'm a good singer, I guess, or yeah, oh, some yeah. people do. Yeah, like there's some people that I know who've been like, I just started singing. I can't remember, I can't remember his name. I think it's this dude. His name is Jacoy. Y'all know Jacoy? I think yeah, he's from Canada. He's from Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacoy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's really cool. But he was like, I just started singing. Yeah. He and was a rapper first and then he started singing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I relate to that dude because the same happened to me. So there are people who like, you know, you just kind of, it's like with, not, it's just like developing your voice. Mm-hmm. And then one day it just comes out of you. And you can, be, it's the right place at the right time. You just have to go for it. Now, this is not an endorsement to just start singing everybody. Um, because not everybody, not everybody's meant for it. It's too late. But there's too many rappers there's singing so, right now. There's way too many rappers in the world. There's a lot of tunes, SoundCloud rappers right now that are just like, oh my God. There's so many of us. But like, if you do want to sing, like everybody can sing, you know? Everybody doesn't have to be a professional singer, but everybody can sing. So it's just like open your motherfucking mouth and let a sound come out, you know. See what happens. Um, And see what happens because I did it and look mm-hmm. where I am.
When I'm looking in the mirror, I'll be slapping on that ass, getting thicker and thicker. So you're performing at indie rock shows. They're they're backpackers and you know、uh, hipsters in the audience. But then you went on tour with SZA. Yeah,、and、that's a different experience because you said you saw black women in the audience. That kind of was different for you. Yeah. So tell me about that. It was so tight. It was so lit. Probably like, black beautiful women in、oh、SZA's God, concert like, too. So many dreads <laughs> and just afros and. I just remember being fully embraced, and the songs that I was singing for people for like indie rock crowds, that I was singing shit like "My Skin," and that's a song where it's like I'm talking about my brown skin. I'm talking about the struggle. I say "Black Lives Matter" everywhere I go, and they would look at me and they would cheer, and because they would be like supportive. These people would look at me and cheer because they related and understood and were relieved. You know, it's just two different feelings, and to be able to sing for people that look like you, you're writing these songs. I'm writing these songs because, from my perspective, that's a black woman. You know, and then I'm and to be able to sing a song that's a perspective of me to someone who looks like me who has that same perspective feels so good. I'm not gonna say it feels better or worse. But I definitely missed it, and so that's why when I made coconut oil, I had black women in mind, and I wanted to write songs that made them go, "Yes, sis," you know. And it's happening, you know. My fans went from being a lot of you know white women and a lot of feminists and a lot of like gay white men as well, which I love y'all. Hey, <laughs> to a blend of way, way, way more different types of people. There's black women. There's black dudes. There's You know, I'm just excited, and、um, I want to be so inclusive. You know, women of color beyond just being black, like you know, marginalized women and and men, and it's dope. You know,、mm. I want my I want my fan base to be as eclectic as you know as America, or you know, I want、mm. it to reflect where I am.、Um, so you were so. writing from your experience, but then when you went to the SZA show and you saw everybody, then you're like, you know what, I'm gonna write with them in mind. Yeah, yeah, I definitely wrote、yeah. coconut oil with black women in mind. Yeah, the song, not even the song coconut oil, not even the the EP. Okay, the song specifically. Um, I was thinking about us. Um, but I'm not gonna be exclusive just to them. Like I'm writing this music to make everyone universally feel good. But you know,、mm-hmm. I, it was nice seeing my girls out there, my sisters.、Mm-hmm. And good, good as hell is the hit. Is the is a is a song that's definitely catching on. How does it feel?、Yeah. What are, what kind of responses are you getting from that song? Man, people are like fucking with it heavy. Like I've seen people who like I just get so many Instagram tags and so many tweets and of girls being like, I do my hair. Like you know what I'm saying? Like seeing it written down on like billboards and posters. It's really cool. Like the way that people fuck with. A little happy song I wrote with Ricky Reed, just like feeling good one day. It was like the second song I'd ever written in LA with Ricky,、mm-hmm. and it just like ugh, just came out. I do my hair toss, check my nails, baby, how you feeling? 
people like it it feels really good it's and that moving. goes perfectly to my next question because since you moved to la you said you you call that experience uh from god's words to my ears to the microphone that your creative process what does that mean it, it's freestyling okay it's like that divine you know uh connection to the energy the creative energy mm-hmm. on the planet that everybody can tap into you wonder why like everyone has a, a good idea at the same time you know like why one invention or like many of the same invention can happen at once is because we're all kind of connected to this like creative ring of energy and I think I believe that when people freestyle that part of their brain is connected to that Mm -hmm. and I used to write raps and I still do like I write raps on my phone I used to write raps in a notebook um and that's a different type of you know expression but when you freestyle in the booth over a melody and you're over a beat and you're trying to just like come up with ideas it feels so much more like you're connecting with everybody or you're speaking a universal language um and so i just call it from you know god's lips to my ears to the microphone Mm -hmm. everybody can do it and it's like that feeling when you look at somebody who's freestyling and you're like wow where did that come from where's he where's his mind at what's that feel like you know I, i think it it's that kind of that beauty of like uh not even knowing what you're about to say next. Mm. You know, I, I've been noticing that. It's been common with the recent interviews that I've been doing where an artist was telling me, you know, before I used to, like, really, really think and write, 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 but now when I hear a beat and instrumental, I just go in yeah. and see what happens. Yeah. And it's, you know, basically what my first reaction to what I'm hearing, I'm just putting it out mm-hmm. there. And it's been, people are saying it's like, it's magic, I guess. It's, yeah, it's yeah. because we're going back to our roots. In hip hop, we're, we're going to this amazing place. Like, there's some people who hate on like a lot of these rappers that are like really melodic and simple seeming. But it's like, you don't know what how that makes someone else feel though. You don't know what like, you know, Call it like Minnesota. You don't know how that makes somebody feel. Like it feels good, and music is supposed to feel good, you know. And that wasn't just a reference at, to to that artist, but that's just a reference to music like that in general. Like as much as people don't realize it, on a song called "Excuse," I have called "Excuse Me," where I go, "I don't need a crown to know that I'm a queen." That's a freestyle. Like that's an original freestyle. I didn't even retrack it. You know, that's just how it came out of my mouth, and like it felt, it felt good, and it feels good to say. You know, um, music is so. We're at this point where it's like we have social media and music is being shared immediately. You know, SoundCloud. As soon as I could write a song in this booth right now and post it, you know, and then like thousands of people can have access to it. Mm-hmm. It's like music is so easily digestible and shared now that like it needs to almost be wrapped in this like, I don't know, user friendly package. 
And I think music is just like becoming candy. It used to be this thing where we thought it had to be like, you know, complicated, gluten-free, vegan meal. But like, nah, it should just be enjoyable and simple. There is virgin. I I I've, I have compared the music to food lot uh, mm-hmm. before though. I've like yo, there is McDonald's in music, and there is soul food, and there's there's all you know. Ooh, McDon- that's a whole other level. Mac- McDonald's the McDonald's has its purpose when you wanna you know it, it serves its purpose, and then soul food so- serves its purpose as well too. You just wanna you make sure you need to get a variety of it, right? That's real. I'ma steal that. That's good. Because, like, McDonald's and Soul Food, because they both taste good. And that's the same when I mean candy. Yeah. Like, to me, like, McDonald's and Soul Food have the same type of richness and flavor. Yeah. But one is just kind of shittier. Yeah. Well, if it, if it's 3 a.m. and you're drunk and you want to get some fast food, then, hey, that's for that one yeah. of the purposes for it. And it, it, it serves its purpose. And, yeah, I've, I've always compared it to that as well. So That's good. Yo, girl, you've worked with Prince, man. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. Tell me how this happened. Um, oh, I had to talk about this earlier. Yeah, well, everybody's going to ask you about this. I know. Um, well, we did a documentary in Minnesota. It was like a little one. And, um, I was, me and uh, a girl group I was in with Sophia Aris was featured, who's my DJ. And then Prince was featured. And then the feeling from The Voice. I don't know if y'all remember him. But it was like Minnesota artists. And... Prince saw the documentary, obviously, because he was in it. And or it was like Third Eye Girl. It was like his his group. And then he hit up the radio station, the local radio station, and was like, Who are those girls? Like, I wanna work, I wanna work with them. And the radio station hit us up and we were like, What? And it was just like this very surreal next couple days where it was like he summoned us to Paisley Park on Easter Sunday and everything was just so magical, you know the way he handled us, the way he dealt, the way he does things and did does things. I don't know. We, we, we recorded a song at Paisley Park Studios. I recorded on Boy Trouble and basically um, his engineer was like, you know, Prince wants you to treat this as if it's your song, you know, just go for it. And I remember like smelling the microphone and being like, this is Prince's mic. And it was like purple. And it's like all this. It was purple. It was like, it was like purple, like, like silk and stuff hanging from it. And I was just like, this is amazing. And wow. um, since then, you know, we had been, I had been invited back and we performed there and I got to see him perform and play piano. He invited us and we were like, in this like little VIP thing, and he just like sat there and played piano and sang. You know, it was mac and cheese. He gave us a gift basket. Like it was just, just wow. amazing, like just magical and surreal. And um, I feel very blessed. I feel so blessed. Like it's not even funny because I, y'all, straight up knew in my heart of hearts that I was gonna work with him again, or that I was gonna see him again, or that he was gonna come to my show or something. And that's not gonna happen. So. It's just, it's heartbreaking for a lot, for thousands and thousands, hundreds of artists. Let me say hundreds. And it's and it's it's heartbreaking for hundreds of artists who knew him and loved him. And it's like soul crushing for the millions of people in the world who loved him. So I don't think I've ever felt such a heavy wave of, you know, mourning for for one person, like globally. And I feel like music changed. I feel like incentive changed and I feel like 
something got upped. Like people were coming up with more positive music. People were coming up with more authentic music. You know, you listen to Awaken My Love and it's like, whew, there's moments on there where you're like, whew, Prince. Prince would have been like, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know. You know, Beyonce came through with the don't play yourself. When you play me, you play yourself. That's a direct Prince quote. Not knowing that she did that intentionally, but whew. Like, we've all we all feel like we're stepping up to the plate to fill some very, very, very big platform purple boots. <laughs> um, and I think that music is like the most exciting it's ever been. The Grammy nominations are out. My producer is nominated for producer of the year, Ricky Reed, who mm. did good as hell and coconut oil. And excuse me, I'm so proud of him. But like the Grammys, if you look at this, like if that's the representation of mainstream music, we on to something. We on to something good. So I don't know. I'm just happy to be a musician mm-hmm. right now. And I'm happy to have worked with Prince and to mm-hmm. have known that he was a fan. And when you say fill in his purple boots, do you, do you mean, uh, is that what you mean by saying that his death gave you like an extra urgency? Like, totally. Yeah. It made me dedicate myself to positive music mm. for sure. I've tried to do like the moody, cute stuff. I can't do it. And I, I was like, man, I'm just going to be that happy go lucky girl forever. But I've completely committed to it ever since April. And I am, I feel such a relief, you know? And I was like, if you think I'm too happy, something wrong with you in your life. Because, you know, a lot of people do that. They'd be like, oh, I don't, she's just too friendly. You know what I'm saying? Like people complain about everything. But I'm not afraid of that anymore mm-hmm. because Prince wasn't. Prince had dedicated all of his, like, his whole legacy to celebrating women, celebrating women of color, and celebrating positive music. And um, I'm going to uphold that, you know? Hmm. Big shoes to feel, though, baby. Big shoes to fucking feel. Must found it. Oh, shit. <laughs> when you mm. say... Uh, you're going to make happy music and you say some people don't like that. I want to go a little bit further into that. Is that what you mean? Like maybe say some people like to hear music that might not be good, like that might be negative, that might be like... Yeah, I mean, yeah. like when you're like sad, like depression can be uh, an addiction sometimes mm. where it's like you like want to be sad and you feed off of the energy of depression or sadness. And there's a lot of people who listen to down tempo moody music all the time and that's that's you you know live your live your life but i feel like um music is therapeutic even though we don't realize it and music is medicine and the medicine that you're taking in every day affects you on the inside and out you know and a lot of people would be like that's shit corny like about a lot of people if it's too happy or if it's too positive you know and that's fine that's your life, but you're missing out on a dose of, you know, good positive medicine and good positive energy. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a ton of new artists right now who are like all on about that though. Like I've met cuz I have a show on MTV on called Wonderland and I I would meet artists every week cuz they would come through. And I would talk to them like, "Man, don't don't nobody make positive music no more." Like Joey Badass, one of the coolest people on the planet, but that song that devastated song is so uplifting. You know, it's called Devastated, but it's like, I used to be so devastated, you know? Like, I think everybody's on this wave of, like, trying to perpetuate some type of, like, mental stability and happiness, you know? Because there's, like, way too much bullshit in the world. I'm telling you, especially in America, we dealing with some bullshit. Like, y'all, <laughs> I'm trying to find me a husband so I can move to Toronto because... <laughs> 
Fuck that shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Coconut Oil, the EP. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. It's so great. Uh, you said that it's the ultimate ode to self-care and to my process. I'm not there yet, but I'm creating my music so I can get there. Hey. What does that mean? Where are you trying to get? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess that the al- there's going to be an album that's like there. But... There's so many layers to self, and I've only gone through self-exploration, self-love, and self-care. I've only gone through three versions of, you know, self, and there's so much more to go. And um, I think that, like, there is when you when you, you can feel it. Um, I'm already working on the next record, though, so <laughs> I ain't there yet. I got high standards, high goals, and high ceiling. So. Do you ever get there, though? Like, is there... Like, it's never, like, I'm here. That's it. Yeah, I'm, I have I don't arrived. Think so. I no. think if you feel like you've arrived, then yeah. you've already set your, like, expiration date. You feel me? Mm-hmm. So. I want to talk about you being an independent artist because you've been an independent artist for a while. You're not anymore. Uh, this is called The Come Up Show. It's a platform for up-and-coming artists. I talk to a lot of up-and-coming artists, and that's who listens as well, too. That's what's up. And uh, you said I had to be my own manager, a driver, and everything. So uh, I guess, you know, what did you get from that process? What did you learn about it? And what would you, those people who are trying to, those artists and creators who are coming up right now, what would you like to say to them? Yo, wear every hat. Wearing every hat taught me how to treat those people who are now wearing those hats. And it also taught me what I should want to expect from that position. Um, it's funny because the executives and people at Atlantic, I just got signed to Atlantic and they'll be like, wow, like you don't have to do that anymore. You don't like, you really did all of that, you know? And there's a lot of artists. Like what, what did you do that? Just like, like like driving, you know, little things like that. Like, um, tour managing me and my DJ would tour manage ourselves and all of the little production things that we would do ourselves and the way that we wrote music and the way that I like just carried myself was very independent and there's a lot of artists and I'm only realizing this now because I only knew independent artists but they would tell me they're like there's a lot of people who get signed and from having no indie career and just like a lot of talent and a developing artist but they go from never performing in front of an audience to you know bus tours which is like I couldn't even fathom that, yeah. but that seemed to be like the norm for a long time. I couldn't even fathom. I don't. You're we don't have a bus a now. Like we got a Mercedes Benz, like Sprinter, Sprinter, so yeah. fly. But like, yeah. we ain't done no bus tour, and um, I can't even imagine what it would be like jumping from nothing to that. I'm so grateful for the years of experience I've had because it just makes having that tour bus or that that mercedes Benz sprinter that much more like fruitful and i'm so much more grateful for it um so yeah wear every hat because motherfuckers gonna try to come through on you and take your money that you've earned and not do the job that you would have done for yourself so if you do the job that you would expect from yourself then you know what to expect from others um and we regulate <laughs> <laughs> we do so you're basically uh, arming yourself with knowledge and information experience. Mm-hmm. And for the people who are saying, I am doing everything myself, when is this going to get easier? What mm. would you say to them? I would say, you know, um, sometimes it's nice to step back and look at your life really uh, objectively and kind of 
and and look at the macro real quick and try to see if you see any growth and growth is like the most important thing even if it's little look for that growth and appreciate that because at least then you can see where you're gonna go if you haven't seen any growth and you're struggling you know I always say that the universe conspires with you when you're doing the right thing. Maybe this isn't the right thing. Maybe this isn't the right way. Maybe it's music, but just not this kind of music. And there was a lot of times where I was in my rock band and I was like, why isn't this blowing up? Why aren't we successful? Or when I was in my girl groups and I'm like, why aren't we blowing up? It wasn't until I decided to be a solo artist or it wasn't until I decided to make positive music that I started to see exponential growth you know so you got to find the right version of yourself and and go for it Mm -hmm. it's a process it's a journey you're gonna get there if you're really Mm -hmm. dedicated uh you've also said the higher i get in my career the less i see people like me oh when did i say that i said on twitter uh on an interview somewhere the less I see people like me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, the more you're exposed, the more people start to, like, more find, find things to, to hate about mm-hmm. you. And it's like, whatever, dude. Like, okay, you don't like me. That's fine. It's good because I, I think every person, I swear to God, like, every time I read an artist's bio or meet an artist or chop it up with an artist, they all talk about being either bullied or having to deal with some type of poverty or insecurity. And... That only gets you prepared and gives you that tough skin for when you're successful because it's the same. It's high school all over again sometimes. People like you for no reason at all. People take one thing you say and spread it around the hallways, you know, and there's tattletales, snitches. Like, it's Mm. it's this never-ending, like, high school sometimes. And I just ignore all of them. I get tweets that get like 30,000 retweets and favorites and hundreds of comments and I just ignore them all. I don't read them. I just let them live because I know somebody's saying something mean or evil at that rate. When you get that many people coming at you, there's a percentage of that that's just going to be pure trollism. Mm. Got to ignore the trolls. That's really interesting. So how do you deal with social media? Because I've like I've seen all of them. I've, I know an, an R&B artist who's 21 years old and he doesn't deal with so, social media to some people living on social media. Like what? how do you deal with it for your health, for your mental health? You have to think about it. Social media yeah. is a tool. It is not your world. It's not it's it's not important. Uh, it's as important as you want it to be. So if you really feel like that's the problem. People use it as a crutch instead of like a tool. And I think that once you gain, you know, the ball is in your court with it. It's almost like when you when you talking to somebody and y'all texting, y'all in the texting stage and you get to this point where the ball is in like your court and you're like, oh, shit, I got the control right now because he texted me and I didn't respond. And it's been like three days, and I know that he's just sitting waiting for my ass. He liking all my pictures on Instagram. He's sprung. And the ball is in your court, and you have the control. That's what social media is all about. When you pander or you care too much or you're giving too much, then it will eat at you, and you're just going to be waiting for that validation. But always be the player. (laughs) That's how I feel about it. So tell me about the show Wonderland. Is that what it's called that you're hosting? Yeah, I'm. Well, we we wrapped the first season. First season. Okay. Um, it was so dope. 
uh, Wonderland is a brand new show on MTV, mm-hmm. and it is the first music show in like ten years. It's like spring on MTV break. on MTV, which is Sorry. funny because it's music television. I know, yeah, and yeah. MTV made a big joke about it. Yeah, but it's like TRL minus music videos. It's like if TRL and Pitchfork Festival came together and threw a little bit of like comedy in there. Every week we would have these crazy party people come to this warehouse in downtown LA, like this condemned warehouse. It was like a old brothel. It was like it was like smell like shit sometimes. And like we have all these kids come through, we get them drunk, and we'd have like big artists. Like our first act was Ty Dolla Sign and Tanache, and I can't remember there was one more artist. Mm-hmm. But that was like, and then we've had like Steve Aoki, we've had um, Wiz Khalifa. We had, you know, Blink-182. We have, like, these massive bands coming into this little warehouse space and performing. And we had, it was, like, multi-platform. So you could watch it on Facebook Live. You could watch it, a Snap Story. You could watch it streaming. You could watch it on MTV, the actual channel. Um, And... It was a party. We would get faded every week. <laughs> Don't say, well, it's over now. So. It's over now. We would get fucked what, up. The first did, two episodes we didn't, but after that we got What did you up. like learn? What did you get from that experience? Well, I got yeah. some I got some chop it up with a lot of artists that I really like and respect. Um mm-hmm. and I got to realize that they fuck with me as much as I fuck with them, which was really cool. There was some artists that would come through and be like, What's up, Lizzo? I fucking love your shit. I'm like, what's up? Um I also got to, uh, I could host the Grammys now if you wanted me to, because I got put through so much host training from MTV and Comedy Central and um, Done and Dusted. And I know how to be like the straightest host in the world. But that's what I learned. And I learned that, you know, you I can get drunk and still read cue cards. That's awesome. All right. Uh, so last question. Uh, yo, 2016 is wrapping up. What have you learned from this year, from 2016? I learned that anything can happen, good and bad. So be prepared and be grateful. That's it. <laughs> anything else that you would like to say to the to the people who are listening? Yo, go listen yeah. to my EP, Coconut Oil. It's Go to LizzoMusic.com. Catch me on tour. Catch me in your city, blah, blah, blah. If you want to drive all the way to Vancouver, you can come into that big girl, small world. Follow me on Instagram <laughs> because it's my world. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Follow me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. Just type in L-I-Z-Z-O and you'll see me. Thank you very much, Lizzo. Mm-hmm. Yo, what did you think of my conversation with Lizzo? Let me know at the Come Up Show on Twitter. Make sure you tag her as well. Yo, this is this was the last interview, last full interview of 2016. The next two weeks, I'm going to be re- recapping the best of 2016 for the Come Up Show. I would really, really like to know what your favorite episodes of 2016 were for the Come Up Show. Like, how did you get introduced to the podcast? If you're new this year, and if you've been listening for a minute, please let me know what was your favorite you can comment on SoundCloud or whatever the favorite player or at The Come Up Show on Twitter. I love your input because I'm going to put it together with your input. Thank you for listening, y'all. I'll check you out next week. Peace. Peace.